All right. Well, if you can get your Bibles and open to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. While you're doing that, I'll go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Lord, oh, we thank you so much for this time that we get to come in fellowship together and just worship you. We thank you that we get to study your word. Lord, your word is so encouraging. God, you are so good. You are so amazing. And we just, we pray that you would speak to us, God, that you would teach us something this morning, or at least remind us of who you are and of your goodness, Lord. Lord, we need you every hour, every second of every day. And so right now, Lord, we pray that you would grace us, continue to grace us with your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've titled this message, This is My God. Psalm 139, This is My God. When we think about God, or anything about God, we have to think infinitely about God. He's the only true God. You've got to think about God as being perfect. He is the one and only perfect God. Words such as boundless, unlimited, Infinite. Those words describe God and only God, nothing and no one else. And you consider all that God has done and you'd be amazed. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Isn't it amazing to go out at night and just look up at the stars and look at what's out there and just imagine how far beyond all of that space goes on for? Did you know that our moon is about 250,000 miles away from Earth? The sun is about 93 million miles away from Earth. Saturn is about 900 million miles away from Earth. And Saturn is a thousand times the size of our planet, Earth. Isn't that amazing? Did you know that the nearest uh, galaxy to us is a galaxy Andromeda? Now, there are other smaller galaxies, but Andromeda is about the same size as our Milky Way galaxy. Now, in our Milky Way galaxy, it's estimated that there are about 200 billion stars in this galaxy, our Milky Way galaxy. And Andromeda, again, another similar galaxy, is about, oh, 2.5 trillion light years away. That means that if you were to travel at the speed of light, it would take you 2.5 trillion years to get to that next galaxy. It's amazing that Psalm 147 says that God counts the stars and calls them all by name. And do you realize we haven't discovered all that there is to be discovered out there? So you think about how God is so big how he holds everything in his hands. He calls the stars by his name. How he created all that we can see out there, but yet how personal he is with you and I, the creator of heaven and earth. Do you know that he made you? He knows you? That is what David is focusing on in Psalm 139. This great God who is almighty, he knows me and he has created me and he's just amazing. There's a story about a little girl who climbed up on the lap of her great-grandmother and looked at her great-grandmother's white hair, the wrinkles on her face. And the girl asked her grandmother, 
Grandma, did God make you? Well, yes, of course he made me. The little girl thought for a second and said, Grandma, did God make me too? And the grandma, of course, said, yes, of course, honey, he made you. And the little girl said, well, don't you think he's doing a better job now than he used to? (laughs) Wow. You know, we are all unique. God has made us all perfect just the way he wants, just the way he wanted to make us. In Psalm 139, David focuses on the characteristics or the attributes of God. And we're going to focus, break it down into three specific things that David kind of meditates on. First of all, David says, God is all-knowing. And we have a word, omniscient, which means all-knowing. There is nothing that God doesn't know. He knows everything. The second thing that David talks about is how God is everywhere. There is nowhere that God is not. He is omnipresent. The third thing that David focuses on is how God is all-powerful. There is nothing that God cannot do that is within his nature. There's nothing too difficult for God. And so let's go ahead and look at the first six verses where David is focusing on how God is all-knowing. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 139. David writes, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So first of all, God, David is saying, is all-knowing. He is omniscient. To say that God is omniscient means that he has perfect and complete knowledge. There is nothing that God needs to learn, or there is nothing that God has ever had to learn. He's already known it. He knows everything there is to know equally well, effortless, effortlessly. Come up with the biggest mathematical problem. God knows the answer before you finish writing it. There is nothing that God needs to learn. He is never surprised. He is never amazed. God already knows everything. God already knows everything that's going to happen, everything that has happened in the past, And everything in the future, there's nothing that God doesn't know. So first of all, David says in verse 1, you have searched me and you have known me. Now that word searched, it means to explore, it means to search out, it means to search and explore the mind of anyone. David is saying, God, you have seen inside my heart, you've explored inside my heart, you know everything in my heart. He says, you've searched me and you've known me. That word known, it means to observe with your eyes as opposed to just hearing what somebody has to say about something or someone. So David is saying, you've searched me, you've explored me, you've seen me with your own eyes and you know my sitting down and my rising up. That is to say, God, you've seen me, you've studied me, you know all of my postures, all of my motions, all of my 
actions, all of my accomplishments. David is saying, Lord, you've searched me, you've known me, you know my entire life. You know everything that has ever happened to me because you were right there with me. No doubt, David had experienced so many things. When he was a kid, remember, he was anointed by the prophet Samuel. And as Samuel poured the oil upon David's head, it says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that time forward. And God was with David, and he saw David when he fought off the lions and the bears from the sheep. God was with David when he fought Goliath. And when David won all of the battles that he won, God protected him. He was right there with him. There's a point when David told the prophet Nathan that he wanted to build God a temple. But God told Nathan to tell David, David, will you build me a house? You build me a house? No. He goes on to tell Nathan, tell David this. I took you from the sheepfold, David, from following the sheep. It's kind of funny, from following those little sheep. I took you from there to be ruler over my people, over Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. I have cut off all of your enemies from before you and have made you a great name. And God tells David, David, I have made you who you are. And you're going to make me a house? No. You know what, David? You're not going to make me a house. Your son is going to build a temple for me. But you know what I'm going to do for you, David? He goes on to tell him, I'm going to make you a house. For the throne will never depart from your lineage, referring to Jesus Christ, a descendant of David who would reign on the throne forever and ever. And so David is thinking about all of that, and he's saying, God, you've searched me, you've known me, you know my entire life. Look at verse 5. David says, you have hedged me behind and before. Lord, you've gone before me. Your providence is evident. You've laid your hand before me. You've protected me. You've guided me with your right hand, with your strong hand. And David is realizing, you know what? God knows everything there is to know about me. Not only what I've been through, not only what I've seen, God knows all of my emotions. He knows everything I've put my hand to. He knows everything about me. David says, God, you know everything about me. He goes on to say that not only does he know his life, but he knows his every thought. Look at the second part of verse 2. It says there, you understand my thought afar off. David is saying, God, you know all of my imaginations. Lord, you know every thought afar off. Before I even began to think them, you already knew them. David is thinking, Lord, before I even could think, you already knew every single thought that I would in the future think. David is saying, Lord, even the thoughts that I can't remember anymore, you know those thoughts. You see the connection of why I was thinking this and how I got to thinking this because I started way over here and I don't even realize that chain. Have you ever walked into a room and forget why you walked in there? Happens to me all the time. You know what? God knows every single Thought it is amazing. There is a study done uh, in 2020 of about 184 people with the age of about 29 years old, and they discovered this. On average, we have six to seven 
thoughts per minute. So they concluded, we as individuals have over 6,000 thoughts per day. Now think about this. God knows every single one of those thoughts. It got me thinking, you know, how many thoughts is that? Man, that's 42,000 thoughts per week. That's almost 2.2 million thoughts per year. If you think about it, there are nearly 8 billion people in existence on the world today. That is equaling 47.4 trillion thoughts per day that God knows of every individual. And he knows what every single person is thinking presently, everything they thought in the past, everything that they're going to think in the future, God already knows. Isn't that amazing? He goes on to say in verse 4 that God knows every word. There is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Every word God knows before I have even formed it on my tongue. Sometimes we have trouble getting words out, don't we? God knows. God knows what we're trying to say. It's interesting to think that God knows every word which we've spoken, but he also knows what we mean by every word that we say. You ever have a conversation with somebody and they're, they're telling you something, perhaps maybe they're trying to tell you something and you're asking yourself, okay, he said this, but what are they really trying to say, right? God knows. He knows every word uttered or not uttered. He knows everything. And so David is thinking, God, you've searched me. You've known me. You've known my entire life. You know all of my thoughts. You know every word And his mind explodes. Look at verse 6. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. David is thinking, Lord, I can't comprehend how you know all of this. How you know everything. I can't describe it. I know that you do, but I can't attain it. My knowledge is so limited in comparison to yours I just can't comprehend it. And so that's why David says in verse 1, you have searched me and you have known me. God, you know everything. The second thing that David focuses on, God, you are everywhere. That is the word where we use the word omnipresent. Now, when we say that God is omnipresent, we are saying that God is everywhere present at the same time. Now, understand something. We're not saying that he is 5% of himself here with us, 5% in Las Cruces, 5% in Albuquerque, 20% in Florida because it's nicer over there. When we say that God is omnipresent, the idea is that he is 100% of himself here right now, 100% of himself in Las Cruces, 100% in Albuquerque, 100% in Florida, in Africa, 100% across the entire universe. There is nowhere we can go that God is not already there. He is omnipresent. So look at what David says in verses 7 and 8. David says, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee From your presence. If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell or Sheol, 
behold, you are there. So David says, Lord, I can go to the highest in heaven and you're there. I can go to Sheol in hell and Lord, you are there. Now, by the way, just so you know, in the Old Testament, Sheol was a place that every person that died would go to after death. Before the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, everyone went to Sheol. And there were two compartments there. One for those who rejected and uh, disbelieved in God, the wicked. And another was those who believed in God, those who were saved by faith. And that was known as Abraham's bosom. Post-death and resurrection, we know that Abraham's bosom is no longer occupied because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. After death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, when you breathe your last breath here on earth, you go to heaven. What David is saying, though, is that I can go as high as heaven, I can go as low as Abraham's bosom, and God, you are right there. He goes on to say that he can go speedily or far away. Look at verse 9. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Now, he's saying, if I were to take the wings of morning. So imagine the sun comes up in the east, right? And as soon as it breaks the horizon, if David were to take the wings of the light that scatters far over beyond the sea. In other words, what David is saying, if I were to travel at the speed of light over 186,000 miles per second and go as far as I possibly could, you are already there, God. I can't go fast enough to get out of your presence. I can't go far enough to get out of your presence. God, you are everywhere. Going on in verse 11 and 12, David says, I can go to the darkness. Look at verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. David is saying, Lord, I can go and find the darkest place, the darkest crevice, the darkest cave, and still you are there. And not only are you there, but you can see just as plainly as anybody could see in the daylight. So David is saying, doesn't matter how high, how low, how fast, how far, or how dark, everywhere I go, God, your presence is already there, God. You are everywhere. Now, He doesn't see this in a negative way. He sees it in a positive way. Look at verse 10 again. He says, even there, your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. David is thinking, God, everywhere I go, you are there to lead me. You are there to hold me, to guide me, to protect me. David is rejoicing in that fact. So not only is God omniscient, all-knowing. Not only is God omnipresent, he's everywhere. David goes on to say, God is all-powerful. And we get the word omnipotent. There is nothing that God cannot do that is within his nature. And I say that because, for example, God cannot sin, for he is pure and holy. God cannot lie, because he is truth. He keeps every word, every promise that he speaks. 
but there is nothing that is too difficult for him. So let's look at verse 13. David says in verse 13, For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought or woven together in the lowest parts of the earth. Just like we were talking about how you can look in the sky and see God's amazing work. You can look through a telescope and see, well, David is kind of, if you will, thinking if we could get a microscope. Now, obviously, David didn't have that. But if you could get a microscope and look at your body, you would be just as amazed at God's work. He says we're fearfully and wonderfully excuse me, made. We are, we've been embroidered. We've been knit together. We've been woven together. You know, you look at your body and it's amazing. It's amazing how unique everybody is. It's amazing how specific, how meticulous God was when he created mankind. A few interesting facts just to, just to kind of help us consider this. Did you know that the eyes can distinguish between 8 million different colors? Did you realize that the ear can hear between 300,000 and 400,000 different tones? Did you realize that there are as many as 100 trillion cells in the human body performing thousands of specific functions? Did you know that each cell contains about a trillion atoms? Your body has more atoms in it then there are stars in the entire universe. How? Did you know that in the lifetime, the heart beats about 2.5 billion times and it never stops? In that time, the heart pumps about 60 million gallons of blood. Can you imagine how much it would cost in gas? 60 million gallons of blood. Did you know that your body has 60,000 miles of blood vessels? That's enough to go around the entire earth two and a half times. How? In this body, there are enough veins to go around the entire world two and a half times. The number of red blood cells in your body, if they were laid end to end would circle the earth four times. Isn't that amazing? There are estimated to be 100 billion neurons in your brain. Each neuron is estimated to have 10,000 branching fibers connecting it with other neurons. The brain has a capacity to store the amount of 25 million books. The brain makes... Get this, the brain makes about a thousand trillion computations per second. The most advanced computer is nothing compared to what God has built inside of you. A hundred, or I'm sorry, a thousand trillion computations per second. You think, how is that possible? Every time you take a step, every motion you make, when you reach down to turn the page of your Bible, when you're driving, 
when you're playing sports and you're throwing a ball and you think about a, 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 a quarterback who's throwing a football and he's calculating how far ahead of the wide receiver to throw that football so that they both meet at the same time. Things like that, we can make all of those computations instantly. It's no wonder, David says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. There's a story, and perhaps you've heard this story, but there's a story of a scientist who approached God. The scientist approaches God and says to him, God, we don't need you anymore. Science has finally figured out a way to create life out of nothing. We can now do what you did in the beginning, God. Oh, is that so, God replied. Yes, the scientist says, we can take dirt, form it into a human likeness, breathe life into it, thus creating man. Well, that's very interesting, God said. Why don't you show me? So the scientist reaches down, grabs a handful of dirt, and starts to mold the soil into the shape of a man. But God interrupts, no, 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 get your own dirt. As advanced as we are, we'll never compare to what God has created in your own body. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. It points to a great designer, the Almighty God. Now, not only did God create you and design you and make you, but He knows everything. He planned everything for the rest of your life. Look at verse 16. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none. So here's the cool thing. This intimacy of God knowing you did not begin with your conscious life. This intimacy of God knowing you began even before he formed you and made you in your mother's womb. He made you with a plan for a purpose. He made you the way you are because he had things written, if you will, in his book. Understand something. You are not a mistake. Not a single person, not a single baby, not a single unborn child is a mistake. God made every single person with a purpose. Not only, God not only designed you physically, but he planned out a daily schedule for you practically. Wouldn't it be neat to wake up every morning with that mentality and say, God, what do you have planned for me today? What have you mapped out for my life today? Help me to walk in that way today. And so when we have this understanding of God, we see that he is all-knowing, he's everywhere, he's all-powerful. There are benefits to having this proper and accurate theology of God. And we see David, um, in the remaining verses, we see those benefits. We see what happens as a result of understanding how big, how great, how mighty our God is. The first thing that we see is that if you know, truly know God, about God, how great he is, all that he's done, you're going to praise him. 
David said, I'll praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Look at verses 17 and 18. David says, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. David is saying, Lord, you've thought of me long before I was even born. You thought of me when I was being formed. You're thinking of me, knowing my thoughts every single day. You've known every single detail of my life. So David realizes something. He's saying, God, you have always been at work in my life. You've always been at work in my life. You formed me in my mother's womb. You've seen my every action. You know my every thought. Everywhere I've gone, you've been there with me. God, your thoughts for me, about me, are more than the sand. Could you imagine picking up just a handful of sand and counting every grain of sand? How long would that take? More than I would want to find out, right? David is saying, God, you've been thinking of me from all eternity. You think about me all the time. It is amazing. It is precious how you think of me so much. And then not only will you praise him, you'll have a desire for holiness. And wickedness will make you, it'll upset you. Look at what David writes in verses 19 through 22. David says, O Lord, Would you slay the wicked, O God? Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them as my enemies. David knows that at some point, Those wicked people will be judged. For this reason, David wants nothing to do with them. I don't want to have anything to do with them. I don't want to be tempted by their habits. And I definitely don't want to be involved in their fate. I hate everything that they do. When he says, I hate them, he's saying, I reject them. I disavow any association with them. God They hate you, and that makes me so upset. When you see how good God is, how holy he is, how much he's loved you, you want to live a holy life for him. And evil and wickedness, it upsets you. Now, the last thing that I see here, and we'll close with this, is that when you know and understand God's characteristics, it will improve your prayer life. It'll improve your prayer life because it'll lead you to pray with a faith knowing what God is capable of, knowing what God is able to do. And David has a short prayer, but there's a lot in this prayer. Look at verses 23 through 24. David prays this, search me, O God, And know my heart, try me and know my anxieties, and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, if you look at what David is asking, there's a lot in there. He's saying, God, search me, know me, try me. 
or test me. See me and finally lead me. That's a lot in there. His correct theology was made practical by his prayer. And so since God is omniscient or all-knowing, David knows that God can search him. David knows that God already knows him. And so he says, God, search me. Since God is omnipresent, David knows that he can say, God, try me or test me and see me. And since God is omnipresent, David knows that God can see any wicked in him. David knows that God can lead him in the way everlasting. It's amazing what you can pray, what you pray when you know what God is capable of doing. He can do all that. So I have a question for you. Are you willing to pray like David and ask God to search you? Are you willing to ask God to know you and to try you, to test you? Are you willing to ask God to see you? God, look at me. Look at me. Look into my heart and see if there's any wicked way. And are you willing to ask God to lead me? And if you're asking God to lead you, then by default you're saying, God, I want to follow you. Are you willing to live your daily life like that? Psalm 139, this is my God. He is a great God. We owe owe so much to him. Let's go ahead and pray, and let's pray that prayer to God. Let's ask him to, to search us, to know us. Lord God, we come before you, and we thank you that you are so amazing, God, that there is no one like you. Words like omnipresent, words like omniscient, words like omnipotent, Lord, those words cannot be applied to anyone else. Only you. God, it's amazing that you know our hearts. It's amazing that you know our every thought, our every word. And so, Lord, like David prayed, we ask even now, God, that you would search us, Lord. Look into our hearts. Lord, because you know our life, you understand us perfectly. God, try us. Test us. If there be any wickedness in us, any sin, God, would you show that to us? Lord, would you give us hatred for that sin? Lord, would you give us the strength to leave that sin? We don't want to be wicked. We don't want to uh, have anything to do with the wicked ways of the world. Lord, we want to be a light. Lord, would you search us? Would you see us? Would you know us? And then would you lead us? Lord, you did amazing things in the life of David. You've done amazing things in our life. And Lord, we're still here. And so we pray that you would continue to lead us. Do amazing things in us, through us, with us, God. Lord, we want to be used by you. We want to see you work mightily in us and all around us. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've never asked God To lead you in that way. The first thing that he would tell you to do is to surrender your life to him.
to ask him for forgiveness because he will forgive you. He will remove all of your shame, all of your guilt. Perhaps you've lived this life wondering what your purpose is, wondering if you were a mistake. God would say you are not a mistake. I have made you for a purpose. Come to me and let me show you. If you've never done that, then simply ask him. Pray this prayer in your heart to him and say, Lord, I believe in you that you are almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. I believe that you came and you died for my sins and that you offer me eternal life, forgiveness of sins. God, I want that forgiveness. Lord, I ask that you would lead me all of my days. Help me to live for you. And Lord, with that said, we do surrender every moment. Lord, as we leave this building this morning, as we walk the rest of this week, remind us of how awesome you are. Remind us of your presence. May we meditate on Psalm 139 and lead us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.